0: Undeniably the best of the mini-cycle of body-swap comedies from the late 80s, this is the flick that revealed that Tom Hanks was capable of much more than just one-dimensional, idiotic comedic roles. His transformation into the floppy walk and wide-eyed enthusiasm of a 13-year-old boy is an actor's masterclass in physical acting. It also proved that Penny Marshall was a bona fide blockbuster movie director and not just the tough-talking and boy-crazy Laverne DeFazio on Laverne and Shirley. So grab some quarters for the Zoltar machine and make a wish as Chris McMitchin and I discuss Big from 1988 on this episode of The 80s Flick Flashback.
1: Remember your first night away from home? Your first job. Hey, $187? Your first
2: date. I have a really big goblin monster right, yeah. right there.
1: Your first apartment. You live here? No. Yeah. Nice, isn't it? Remember the day you finally discovered what it was like to be big. What were you like when you were younger? Tom Hanks. Oh well, I wasn't much different. Is big. Rated PG.
0: Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. All right, welcome in, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. We got a good one today. Amazingly, it's in the year two of the podcast, on to season five, and this is the first Tom Hanks movie that we've discussed. I know it's a travesty, and I apologize. But we're glad we're here for this one. I'm going to skip all that and just jump right in today introduce uh, my good friend, Mr. Chris McMitchin, who's back on this episode. It's been a while, but uh, glad to have you back, so say hello, Chris.
1: Hello, everybody. <laughs> glad to be here, and uh, we got a good one to talk about today. Mm-hmm.
0: This is actually one I think that Chris picked. We talked about movies that you think about in the summer, and uh, even though this isn't really set in the summertime, it did come out in the summer, so... It works. So uh, let's jump right in. When did you see Big for the very first time?
1: I actually saw it on VHS. This was like a legit blockbuster rental <laughs> for me. I mean, you know, back in the blockbuster days, we, mm-hmm. my family and I would visit that place a lot. And had we all had cards of our own, you know, and, and we'd go in and get some weekend movies to check out. And mm-hmm. that was the first experience I'd had seen it. Okay. Yeah,
0: for me, I'm pretty sure I saw this in the theater. This isn't one of those, like, branded in my memory theater experiences but I remember being excited about it coming out I think I'd already seen Tom Hanks and Splash so I remember seeing that at the theater and he had had some a couple other movies I think before this that I, we, we'd kind of say I think the money pit came out before this one but he had a couple little you know smaller movies that didn't weren't as big pardon the pun <laughs> as this one but uh but I'm pretty sure we saw this in the theater uh, so yeah but it was one that I really enjoyed and I watched several times again. Either on TV or you know renting it when it came out on mm-hmm. video. So, how long has it been since you watched it before rewatching it for the podcast? I don't know. That's a great <laughs> question. I
1: probably saw it again at some point in the nineties. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you know, just as a run on a TV movie or TNT or something like that. Right. But it's been a while since we until I rewatched it just last week. So
0: yeah, I remember loving this movie. I remember watching it several times, like you know, still as a kid. But I remember, I think I have a memory of the ending being sad as a kid, the end being very sad to me of like him having to go back to be a kid. And, you know, who wants to be a kid again? You want to be an adult, and, you know, got the cool job. You got the girl, you know, you're making money, whatever, you uh, know, the vice president. So maybe for some reason at, after that, for a certain point, I just didn't want to watch it again because I didn't want to feel sad at the end like I'd felt sad watching it before. So it's been a long time since I've watched it. And and it's not one of those that I can really remember being on TV a lot either. Like I know there's certain movies I can just, especially like like I said through the 90s or even in the early 2000s where like, you know, especially as cable, basic cable channels like TBS, TNT, USA, when those channels were just getting started, they would just replay movies Mm -hmm. all the time. And there was those cycle of movies that you would just kind of see all the time and this really wasn't one that was in that cycle as much which is kind of interesting uh like i've I've probably seen a league of their own on tv another great tom hanks penny marshall movie i've probably seen that on repeat on tv more than i've seen big yeah and not that i can say big is better than a league of their own they're both great movies in my opinion but it's just interesting to me that that one we had big didn't have as much longevity on replay tv as i thought it should have Mm -hmm. so
1: It's interesting, too, to think about, did it resonate more with us because we were younger? Yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, I I think definitely that has to be the case. Yeah. That when the time frame that you see a movie, if it resonates with you in your own age bracket, Mm -hmm. I think that makes a huge difference. So maybe that's why I didn't get into rotation because they're trying to play toward adults, and maybe the adults see that movie different than, you know, we did when we were kids a little more. Yeah.
0: When those channels were kind of getting started, those of us that were kids were kind of in our late, middle to late teens. And so we weren't as nostalgic as we are now to go, oh, I want to go back and watch this movie I watched when I was 10, 11, or 13. Right. You know, I want to watch whatever's cool now, you know, sure. those kind of teen movies or whatever. But uh, but still, great. And it was good to go back and watch it. Just, it's still, in we talked about, it, it still holds up very well. Very well. Uh, I mean, it's not as dated as some i mean there's there's some things in it now i'm like you know you could pick things apart like you definitely couldn't do that now and we'll i guess we'll talk about that uh as we go but uh but it's still just the the heart of the story is still there mm-hmm. and it still comes through really well so definitely mm-hmm. all right well let's uh talk about story origin and pre production so uh, not super extensive but we'll go through some and be sure to jump in if you have anything to add or questions or whatever so uh, the screenplay for Big was written by Gary Ross and Ann Spielberg, uh, Anne Spielberg being the sister of acclaimed director Steven Spielberg, uh, and he was actually briefly attached to direct the film. After Spielberg dropped out of the project, James L. Brooks, who was one of the producers, took it to Penny Marshall, who agreed to come on board as director. Uh, Richard Donner, Frank Oz, Ivan Reitman, Amy Heckerling, and John Hughes were all approached to direct as well, but turned it down. I can definitely see John Hughes not doing it because he doesn't really direct anything he hasn't written. Yeah. Um, Donner would have been interesting. Frank Oz would have been interesting. That I would mean, have been a very different movie. Yeah, would have I mean, been. <laughs> they're, they're all interesting, but I, I can definitely see where this definitely has Penny Marshall's uh, kind of style to it, that it really stands out as one of her movies more so yes. than the others. So, yeah, so like I said the introduction, this was kind of a mini-cycle of body-swap comedies from like, like late 80s. So that trend started with like Father Like Son, the movie with Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron where they swap personalities. Then there was an Italian film called De Grande, which told the story of a nine-year-old boy having his wish to become an adult overnight come true so that he could have a romance with his teacher. <laughs> Good old Italian film there. Um, and then you had Judge Reinhold and Fred Savage unwittingly having their minds switched and vice versa, Then again, 81-year-old George Burns was inversed after a car crash. And 18 again, (sighs) there were a lot of these movies. Yes. So when Penny Marshall got the idea or got the script for Big or the directing assignment, she didn't really know that it was going to be not to be as an original idea because when the script was made, these other movies hadn't come out yet. Mm -hmm. So she admitted that she read the scripts for Like Father, Like Son and vice versa and determined that their tones were different than Big's according to co-star Elizabeth Perkins because of the plot similarity to other films she and Tom Hanks looked at each other at one point during filming and said this is going straight to video <laughs> because I mean those movies were not they did okay but they were not blockbusters like this became so right. uh, but once again I still see this is very different than that it's not a father and a son swapping or you know it's 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 a it it is there's some similarities but it's not a real carbon copy so. it's the same character right yeah Throughout.
1: It's, it's more along the lines of that george burns story where the same guy has a experience in his youth you know? right right it's kind of the reverse of that I guess.
0: yeah yeah so uh harrison ford was briefly attached to play the role of adult josh but he dropped out of the project prior to marshall coming on board as director at the time that big was in development there were several other films we talked about like vice versa and like father like son with similar plots involving characters undergoing age changes, so when Marshall approached Tom Hanks about playing Josh, he actually turned down the role. Kevin Costner, Warren Beatty, and Dennis Quaid also turned it down. <laughs> John Travolta was eager to do the movie, but according to Marshall, the studio considered him box office poison. Which, of course, in the 80s, that's very true. Yeah. Sean Penn, meanwhile, had a great audition, but was decided he was too young.
1: Hmm. I don't
0: think Sean Penn would have been great. That would have been a, definitely would not have been a very comedy. different. Yeah, yeah certainly. Uh, This is my favorite story out of all of them. So Marshall reached out to Robert De Niro, who was an old (laughs) friend of hers, with the idea of making Josh a man-man, not a boy-man, quote-unquote. As she recounted in her memoir titled My Mother Was Nuts, she called De Niro and told him, there's a script, I want you to read it, see if you like it. He read it, and he liked it. In 2013, she told the New York Post that De Niro was interested in the role because, quote-unquote, he wanted to do a commercial film. After saying yes to taking on the role, De Niro suggested that Marshall watch his previous films and single out aspects of his previous characterizations that she wanted to see in his portrayal of Josh, which she did, but even as she worked with De Niro in his interpretation of the role, a problem cropped up. Money. According to Marshall, the studio refused to pay De Niro's asking price. In fact, she claimed that producer James L. Brooks suggested that the director give her salary to the actor. She was actually willing to do it, But De Niro refused to take it and ended up dropping out of the project. De Niro's interest in the film had made Big a much hotter property at that point. Hanks, who was filming Dragnet at the time, ended up changing his mind and decided he would sign on for the role of Josh after all. So, De Niro. Wow. Now there's a choice. Man. (laughs) Talk about a different
1: movie. Yes, that that would have been like a fundamental change. Yeah, (laughs) but
0: I guess him being a man-man, like more...
1: Like his whole personality and yeah, all changing that, it would have to be that. See,
0: that would mean it would be a different film. but almost be swapping it, where you've got an adult wishing to be a kid again, mm-hmm. and then and that might have been what they were having to do for that. I mean, I can't imagine you wish to be big and then you become an adult and forget you were a kid. I mean, I don't, I don't really see how that really works that well. So, right.
1: and but, the heart and the fun of the movie, yeah. is really Hanks's, you know the idea of him being uh, just a young kid in a mm-hmm. big old adult body else. right so, right that that would have been lost on that other interpretation, yeah. So,
0: and once again I think Tom Hanks is the perfect choice for this because he had done such those kind of goofy comedy he already had that comic sensibility kind of the not so much the as uh, they call it now the um, the adult child boy child. Uh, kind of persona like you yeah. know Will Ferrell is famous for that now I mean it's been redone so many times now mm-hmm. Adam Sandler you know those their adolescence in an adult body yeah that's just a character trait not you know a plot point but um, but he has that kind of doughy eyed innocence about him anyway mm-hmm. and so he really it really worked for him for, for sure, sure. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about Penny Marshall. At the encouragement of her brother, Marshall became interested in directing. Of course, her brother being Gary Marshall, Mm -hmm. the TV mastermind Mm and also phenomenal director. Uh, While she was starring on Laverne and Shirley, she made her debut as a director and directed four episodes of the show, as well as other TV assignments. In 1979, she directed several episodes of the short-lived sitcom Working Stiffs, which starred Michael Keaton and James Belushi. Who knew Mm -hmm. about that? I don't remember that show at all. Me (laughs) neither. She soon moved to theatrical films. Her first film was going to be Peggy Sue Got Married, which at that point was scheduled to star Deborah Winger in the leading role. Marshall and the writers of the film, however, had creative differences, and Marshall left the project, with Winger also leaving out of loyalty to Marshall. Marshall was soon given the directorial job of Jumpin' Jack Flash in 86, which starred Whoopi Goldberg after the original director dropped out of the project. So she directed other several successful films after Big, including Awakenings in 1990, a movie with Robin Williams yeah. and De Niro, uh, a League of Their Own which you mentioned already, Gina Davis, Tom Hanks, Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell. And then I forgot that she directed The Preacher's Wife in 96 with Denzel Washington and Whitney Houston. Oh, I not I I knew that. Yeah, I was like I don't wow. I don't ass- I don't think about that as one of her movies. Great movie, sure. but I don't think about that as one of her movies for sure. Mm-hmm. So
1: very uh, accomplished.
0: Yeah. Uh, but sadly, she passed away in Los Angeles on December seventeenth, two thousand eighteen, at the age of seventy-five. So, uh, definitely a loss there. But wanted to make you know make sure we talked about her in the mm-hmm. movie. So, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Is
1: there any other director that would have approached this the same way? Probably not. Uh, like I said, you had to have kind of a tentative hand, I think, mm-hmm. and a, and a real heart about this movie yeah. to make it work. I mean, it could have been like super slapstick candy. Yeah. yeah but yeah. I think she walked the line yeah. of the heart of it and the humor of it mm-hmm. just as expertly as anybody could have done.
0: Yeah. And I think that's once again that kind of separates it from those other body quote unquote body swapping movies, which were done for more laughs. It was, you know, the the adults in the child's body were a little bit more slapsticky and goofy and mm. not as real I say realistic like it's a realistic thing but you know it didn't it didn't seem as genuine as I think she approached her and I would say her Hanks the the writers everything kind of approached this one mm. so
1: and now these messages
0: comic books have been around for almost a century and in the last two decades we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on tv on the moving panels podcast we discuss movies and tv shows based on inspired by and adapted from the world of comic books
1: join me and my guests as we discuss both the good
0: and the bad from marvel dc and even some of the lesser known comic book companies Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for moving panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page.
2: (sighs) What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good.
0: If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something.
2: Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop culture roulette. New episodes every Monday available on all major podcast directories. All right,
0: well, let's jump into casting. Uh, of course, we got to talk about Tom Hanks, and I'll give you a little bit of bio on Hanks. It's going to be a little bit longer <laughs> section. Well, once again, first time talking about Tom Hanks on the 80s Flashback. I've got to give him his props. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Tom grew up in what he called a quote unquote fractured family. He moved around a great deal after his parents' divorce, living with a succession of stepfamilies. No problems, no alcoholism, just a confused childhood, according to him. He had no acting experience in college, and credits the fact that he could not get cast in a college play with actually starting his career. He went downtown and auditioned for a community theater play, was invited by the director of that play to go to Cleveland, and there his acting career started. Who knew that an acting career could start in Cleveland? So, Ron Howard was working on Splash a fantasy comedy about a mermaid who falls in love with a business executive. Howard considered Hanks for the role of the main character's wisecracking brother, which eventually went to John Candy. Instead, Hanks landed the lead role in the film and went on to become a surprise box office success, grossing more than $69 million. And, of course, we'll get to Splash at some point Mm -hmm. on on the podcast. Unfortunately, after Splash, he had more misses than hits. Mm -hmm. Movies like Bachelor Party in 84, The Man with One Red Shoe in 85... Volunteers in 85, The Money Pit in 86, didn't find the same success as Splash. Tom Hanks was reportedly always the first choice to play, which we talked about already. Once he signed on, he was unavailable to film big due to scheduling conflicts with Dragnet, which came in '87, and Punchline, which also came in 88. This pushed production back several weeks. Director Penny Marshall had her doubts about Hanks as well. At the time, Hanks was best known for playing glib, irreverent-type characters, and Marshall wasn't quite sure how the actor would approach the part. She said, This was a very nonverbal role, so I really thought Tom had to be innocent and shy, she told the Los Angeles Times shortly after Big was released. I knew that took away one of his favorite weapons as an actor, his verbal assurance, but I had to convince him that he had to be 12, not play at being 12, which they changed to 13 later on. Mm-hmm. In order to keep Hanks from overacting, Marshall brought in respected dramatic actors like Robert Loja and John Hurd to play key supporting roles hoping their style would help keep Hanks in check. Marshall explained to the newspaper that whenever there was a new scene, she would let Hanks try different approaches before telling him, bring it down, bring it down. (laughs) In the end, Hanks earned his first Best Actor Academy Award nomination for his performance in Big. He has gone on to earn four more nominations, winning twice, as well as an additional nomination for Best Supporting Actor. To help Hanks have a reference for how his younger self would act in different situations, Marshall actually filmed David Moscow, the played younger Josh, as he performed all of Hanks's scenes with other actors or a member of the crew. Marshall also had some home movies of Moscow interacting with his friends that Hanks studied in order to see how kids that age talked and acted around each other. Moscow said, "When we were rehearsing, Penny would send out an ad with a camera with me and my friends, and we would sort of play act some of the scenes. So there are a couple of moments in the movie where Hanks is mimicking things that me and my friends did." watching you're like oh my gosh that's crazy. One of the moments came after Hanks had asked Moscow and his friend Ernest to recreate the scene where Josh and Paul, played by John Hurd, get into a fight during a game of racquetball. Tom said alright you're running after each other on this handball court how would you keep the ball away from each other? As childhood friends do we probably had the same issue come up a billion times at that point and that's exactly what we would do switch the ball quickly from one hand to the other when the film came out my buddy and I were watching that in the movie theater because we hadn't seen the dailies and we went oh my gosh that's Ernest so one of their friends so thought that was really cool so when i heard read that about david moscow kind of mimicking some of the scenes before hanks filmed them that gave him a lot of help to do those to do those scenes for
1: sure yeah i mean you know he would've been so far removed from mm-hmm. uh, his own childhood and also Children, you know, adapt. They change from you know how they are in the beginning mm. to how he became an adult. You know, kids are different. Yeah. Even now today, kids are a lot different than when you and I were young. Oh so, yeah. So it, it's good to go back and have a little refresher and somebody you can re- rely on to look at in in a reality of that time. So.
2: Mm.
0: And what a what a fun time for Moscow to be like. I'm in the beginning of beginning of this movie and the end of this movie, but I'm ha- I'm around for the entire filming. Mm. And I just get to like be myself. Like they're not telling me, hey, play it this way. They're saying if you were this happened to you, what would you do? Mm-hmm. So really just to kind of get that genuine reaction or genuine, you know, responses, you know. Of course Hanks, there's we we're talking about it as we go as we get into some of the scenes that he added a lot of stuff and he you know, stuff that he added his own, you know, personality to. But smart. He used that same technique we he did Forrest Gump. The, the story about I mean, that was not a nineties podcast, but trivia about Forrest Gump. That the accent that he uses for Forrest Gump is actually the accent of the young actor that played him as Forrest's young child. He didn't. He just listened to how that kid talked, and then mimicked that accent for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, people have given him a lot of uh, praise for. But you know, he learned to watch what a young kid does and kind of mimic it. So pretty smart. Sure. Cool, pretty smart.
1: It's really cool too. I you know I always admire. Tom Hanks the actor mm-hmm. and to hear all of that it's, it's interesting you you said the, the movie Bachelor Party which I also saw a long long time ago <laughs> long, long time it's amazing me. that the same guy that played in Bachelor Party mm-hmm. played in Castaway which is one of my favorite <laughs> roles of all time yeah. I mean yeah. He was just so fantastic in that movie, yeah, and dominated seventy percent of screen time alone. Mm-hmm. That's so difficult to do. Yeah, he's just—he became such a phenomenal actor. Yeah, and this was a good. This was a good turn for him. This movie. Yeah, I think this probably set him more on his. I don't want to say path of legitimacy, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean by that. Oh yeah, more, yeah, yeah, more of um, the depth of his roles. I think really might have been born in this role. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: for sure. <laughs> I was gonna say this is definitely. This was definitely a turning point for his career. But when you say now Tom Hanks, people don't go back to early 80s Tom Hanks. Nope. Like Bachelor Party, uh, The Man splash, with One Red Shoes, Splash. Uh, even Big kind of gets missed because you hit the 90s where it was, he had the back-to-back. You had Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Forrest Gump, Saving Private Ryan. I mean, he. you can see how Big and Forrest Gump kind of share some of that DNA of the Simple minded mm-hmm. young, you know, kind characterisms, of a characterisms, reasons, yeah, and so, uh, which is why I love both. And I, I just rewatched Forrest Gump a couple of weeks ago, I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I was like, I just wanted to see it. And it was yeah. still amazed at how fantastic Tom Hanks I mean, well deserved mm-hmm. Academy Award, mm-hmm. but he's so good in that movie, but yeah, but I think this was definitely. I mean, I have to think about, I mean, my first movie with Tom Hanks was he was on. He did some guest spots on some TV shows, which how you know Ron Howard knew him. I think he guest-starred on one episode of Happy Days. Which I don't remember that as much. But I remember being the alcoholic uncle on family, a couple episodes of Family Ties, yeah. which he gave a little bit of a dramatic kind of a flair in those. Mm-hmm. But then he was on a show called Bosom Buddies for a little right. while on ABC. <laughs> so, like, okay, the guy who was on Bosom Buddies is, like, a three-time Academy Award winner, you know what I'm saying? It sounds strange. It, it, it it was, yeah, exactly. You would say it out loud, right. it sounds strange. The same thing, like Bachelor Party, like those earlier volunteer. I've never finished Volunteers. I think I because that was a movie yeah. that Tom Hanks met his wife Rita Wilson on. They were okay. in that movie together. So I was like, I always want. It's got John Candy in it. There's not a movie with John Candy that I haven't liked, but I've never made it all the way through that. Never seen The Man with One Red Shoe. So there's there's no. a couple of I've got a couple of Tom Hanks blind spots in my filmography. Yeah. But um, I
1: started watching The Money Pit, but I can't get through that. one. Oh, the so Money Pit I, you know. is so
0: funny. That's one I saw in the theater. That's oh, that, that's really? a that's a guilty pleasure of mine. I love that movie. <laughs> it's funny. It, and then I think because as a kid in the military moving so much yeah. and and you know looking at houses and stuff like that and I think because my parents laughed so much watching that movie. Oh, that's the nostalgic part. It's like that's a movie we watched as a family and they just howled laughing at certain <laughs> parts because it was like you know, my dad kind of we share the same kind of anxiety issues. You know, it's like so I'm sure he would walk through houses mm-hmm. and like it all looks good on the outside, but there's got to be something in this house that's not right. And it's like yeah. when you watch that movie, and it's like they they give they, they give the nice shot of the house at the beginning, and then just they move out like everything that go wrong goes wrong. So yeah. great movie. Uh, so anyway, so Tom Hanks is great. We've yeah. well established For so sure yeah. uh the rest of these are all going to be much shorter <laughs> so we got david moscow as young josh after big moscow landed the role of david jacobs in the 1992 film version of the musical newsies co-starring mm-hmm. opposite christian bale moscow also co-developed and co-produced Lynn manuel miranda's first production of in the heights with his ex-fiancee actress carrie washington had oh, cool. no idea he was ever a Engaged to Carrie Washington, but no, that he great. was involved with in the Heights. Yeah, great, great. So yeah, but I remember I just watched Newsies uh, this past year as well, so I forgot he was in that. But mm-hmm. good, he was great as young Josh. I mean, oh yeah, no, for sure. No, no, no qualms about that. Then we got Elizabeth Perkins as Susan Lawrence, mm-hmm. uh, as we mentioned. Deborah, oh, Deborah Winger was originally considered for the Susan Lawrence role, but could not take the part because she was pregnant at the time. She actually recommended Elizabeth Perkins for the role. Elizabeth Perkins was listed as one of the 12 promising new actors of 1986 and John Willis's screen world and has since landed numerous film roles. Perkins made her film debut in 1986 in Edward Zick's About Last Night, which she followed up with Big. So, I mean, she's an actress that I would know if I see her, but she really didn't have a very big filmography no. necessarily. Yeah. Uh, one interesting fact about this uh, so I I watched this last week we were going to record this, you know, a couple of days ago. But I knew we were recording today, so we were home, and t- my wife was off today. So we watched it. We, I rewatched it again today with her because she hadn't seen it in a while. Oh. And a couple of scenes with Elizabeth Perkins, she was like, That's a look. And I'm like, What are you talking about? She's like, She looks just like Eleven from Strange Things. Like, they have kind of sound the same. Like, when the 80s hair, there's a couple of different scenes where she's like, That's exactly how Le- Eleven was trying to look. Hmm. And those scenes, like, that's, that's pretty cool. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Big Stranger Things fan? Have you watched it? You don't have no, Netflix? No, not much. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of irons in the fire with watching <laughs> stuff. <laughs> too many, too many uh, things to, yeah. to view these days.
0: Yeah. You know? All right. So moving on, we got Robert Loggia as Mister McMillan. I love Robert Loggia. Born and raised in New York City, of course with that uh, accent. Robert Loggia studied journalism at the University of Missouri before moving back to New York to pursue acting. He trained at the Actor Studio while doing some stage work. From the late '50s, he was a familiar face on TV usually as authoritative figures. Loja also found work in movies such as The Greatest Story Ever Told in 1965, Scarface in 83, Over the Top with Stallone in 87, Hot Suit in 87 as well, with John Cusack, and of course, Independence Day in 1996. Yep. Always in demand, Loja worked until his death at 85 from complications of Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one cool thing is his character was actually based on F.A.O. Schwartz CEO Peter Harris. The character is a youthful but goofy retailer true to Harris's own personality. So thought that was cool. Yeah. And then we got John Hurd as Paul Davenport. Hurd uh, appeared in a number of successful films, including Heartbeat in 1980, Cutter's Way in 81, Cat People in 82, Beaches, which also came out in 88, which we covered in the podcast already, and Deceived in 1991. Uh, other films include The Trip to Bountiful in 85, The Pelican Brief in 93, White Chicks in 2004, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, his role as Kevin McAllister's father in Home Alone and Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. I mean, that's what he'll always be. Which is so funny. Yes. You think I mean, you think of him as the dad in those movies, mm-hmm. and you see him in this movie as like a complete jerk. And yes. just what a, he's the guy you love to hate in this movie, isn't he? Yeah, he <laughs> is. You know, my favorite part. I know we're hanging out the favorite scenes, but my favorite part of his in this movie is when, after Josh has the scene where he's like, "I don't get it," and he comes as like, "That guy's a killer." He just. He's he's a killer. He said, "I don't I don't get it." He's trying to mimic it. Oh my gosh, that's so funny! But I thought that was great him uh, that. But unfortunately, heard passed away due to a heart attack on July twenty first, twenty seventeen, at the age of seventy one. I was really sad about how many people have passed away that were in this movie. I know. Man, I didn't think about. Uh, it's been a while though. Which. Uh, <laughs> It came to mind because the last movie we did was Lost Boys for the for the podcast, mm-hmm. and I posted when I posted on social media, all these people were like, "RIP these different characters in the, in the movie." And I was like, "Oh, I didn't even mention their deaths in the notes." So, note to self for the for this one. So, uh, but yeah, John, uh, John Hurt is great in this. Uh, it's a great role for him. Yeah, the 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 the, uh, the scene on the racquetball court is Hilarious. is funny. It's uh, great. Yeah. He was a good protagonist, for sure, mm-hmm. on this one. So, Or antagonist. I always get those two. Anti. Yeah. Anti-pro. Yeah. The antagonist. Got to write that down. All right. Then we got Jared Rushton as Billy Francis Capecki. Uh, Rushton began his career at age 12 as Richie in episode of Tales from the Dark Side. He also appeared in another show, Cagney and Lacey, in a television film, Top Kids. In 87, he played his first major role as Kurt Russell's character's son in the film Overboard. The next year, he starred in Lady in White as Donald. After the success of Big, Rushton appeared in an episode of Murder, She Wrote. He later appeared on a f- three episodes of Roseanne, and then his next movie was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Penny Marshall once stated in an interview that Jared Rushton, who played the character Billy Capecki, really had blonde hair, which I think his hair is blonde in uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Penny Marshall thought he, he was the boy for the part, but thought his blonde hair gave him too much of a quote-unquote California kid look. So he got the part on the condition that he dyed his hair and eyebrows a darker color, hence the reddish-brown color of his hair in the movie. So, mm-hmm. But he was great. And this is one, I think we talked about this too, is like of you know, supporting characters in a movie, I thought he would have done a lot more after Because he was great. I mean, I thought the way his chemistry was with the young Josh and as Tom Hanks, older Josh, there was no disconnect there. Like he, Once he bought in that, oh, this is really my friend as yeah. an adult, I don't see them I don't see him any differently. Like that's still my best friend and we're gonna do all the same goofy things that we we would do anyway. So I just thought he was great.
1: And he felt you know, I really felt the loss that he felt when Josh yeah. almost just became the adult yeah. full time. Yeah. And I'm forget about you, you know, I got stuff mm-hmm. to do, you know, quit calling me. I won't take your calls anymore. Yeah. And he really played that, I thought, you know, he had the jilt part of the relationship, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the jilted part and he really played it very, very well.
0: Yeah. I agree. All right, it's a couple honorable mentions here. These are quick, uh, smaller roles, but I wanted to mention them. John Lovitz, his blink and your missic cameo as Scotty, his co-worker. Of course, Lovitz is best known for being a Saturday Night Live cast member in the 90s. Mm-hmm. He acted in a lot of Adam Sandler films, such as The Wedding Singer, Little Nicky, and Grown Ups 2. He was a fun little side character. I mean, he didn't really have much to do, but, you know, it was funny. We probably like, oh, I forgot John Lovitz was in this movie. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, one of my favorite actresses from the time, Mercedes Rule as Joshua's mom, Mrs. Baskin. In 1980, Mercedes was nearly cast in the sixth season of Saturday Night Live. I don't see how that would have been. I mean, she's not... I don't know her as a comedic actress like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Her most acclaimed film role was in The Fisher King. Her performance in the film earned her a 1991 Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Fisher King is one of my favorite Robin Williams movies, and she's great in that, so I had to mention her. And then uh, from my friend Ron... Got to mention, Deborah Jo Rupp as Miss Patterson, his secretary. Did you recognize her at all? No. Okay. So, with over 300 television appearances to her credit, Deborah Jo Rupp is perhaps best known for her role as the hilarious and beloved high-strung mom, Kitty Foreman, in the long-running Fox comedy series, That 70s Show. Uh, Her performance established her as a sitcom legend and one of TV's favorite moms of all time. So, Ron's a big fan of That 70s Show. And actually, when she popped up, I texted him, I was like, I didn't know that she was on this, and so, but this was actually her feature film debut. So that was her oh. first time in a movie. So. Gotcha. But uh, Deborah Joe Rupp, I would, I mean, I wouldn't know her name if it popped up, but, yeah. but she definitely, she kind of looks the same. Of course, she's she was much older in that '70s show, mm-hmm. but her voice is exactly the same. When she started talking, I was like, I know that voice. And then I'm going to mention that it's not really an actor, but it's a character. Let's talk about the Zoltar machine. Uh, yeah. Uh, It was a prop developed for the film. It harks back to similar fortune-telling machines from the turn of the 20th century, most of which contained female gypsy characters. The Zoltar name was trademarked, and a line of the machines is is available. Unlike the machine in the movie, though, there is not a coin ramp for putting coins in the dummy's mouth, although non-functioning wheels are available as an option. The most expensive line includes audio playback. They also make a cheap foam core version, in which a costume person can sit and pretend to be a machine. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen like a real Zoltar machine, but I've seen some that look very similar in like restaurants, like you're in Daytona or like Orlando, Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know, big touristy places. They'll stick yeah. one in like kind of the back area of like where an arcade or whatever that people that know the movie are going to recognize. So, yeah, the, the, we,
1: we saw one. I can't exactly remember now where it was, but. You would pay, and it would give you a fortune, and it would come in this little tiny, like, wrapped-up scroll, you know, and you'd unfurl it, and it would give oh, you a yeah, yeah, fortune. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a fortune-telling Yeah, 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 yeah. I've um, seen those, yeah. Yeah, I think that's more along the lines of what it is in current production, at least the ones that I've seen. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's still—I I didn't know that it originated with the show. That, yeah. I, that's news to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it was—they pulled from a lot of other sources yeah. to, make it, to make it this specific, but— yeah, the Zoltar machine for sure
1: and now these messages now playing on a cell phone near you a show for all the manly men out there where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man featuring the coolest guests murder somebody is not like killing an ant the most gratifying laughs
2: it's tombstone what can I say yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: and a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up.
2: What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads.
0: If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it
2: covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas special.
0: Plus classics shown
2: every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers.
0: And Cabbage Patch Kids.
2: Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, the other half of the battle. And Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories.
1: Later, dudes!
0: All right, well, let's talk about iconic and favorite scenes for you. When, when somebody says "big," what's the scene that automatically pops in your head?
1: Well, I mean, for me, it's this: when he wakes up as it wakes up big. I mean, for oh, me, yeah, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, I, you know he he goes into the the bathroom yeah. just like any other morning. He barely yeah. misses mom. Yeah, <laughs> she's talking to him the whole way, and you know and. And uh, and and he's realizing his face, and he looks mm-hmm. in the mirror like there's something behind it. <laughs> right. Like, is this a window or something? Right. You know. Right. And uh, he eventually starts to feel his own face and stuff. Mm-hmm. And just his realization scene. Yeah. Is, is yeah. huge. Yeah. It's huge. Um, there's so many things that I remember about the movie, but for me, when I think about the movie, that's an iconic moment. So but uh there there are many other things that i like the hilarity of a lot of it you know mm-hmm. the the scene where he's at the big party and he yep. comes in in yep. the white suit you yep. know looks nothing like anyone else <laughs> you know what that reminded me of dumb and dumber when those two guys came in in those you know in those yeah, like pastel pastel suits yeah i'm like that's the same kind of thing mm-hmm. but uh, a lot later on but anyway he in that uh Party scene though, you know he picks up that little salad corn, yeah. oh, and yeah, he yeah, eats yeah. it like, like a corn tiny yeah. corn cob side to side, and mm-hmm. it just makes me laugh. It made me laugh this time, you yeah. know, yeah. when I saw it. Uh, we talked about the fight scene; it was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, another one that that really hits me um, pretty pretty uh, personally is when they're in the FEO Schwartz, you know, and yep. and they're they're up on the he and the you know office manager, mm-hmm. his his new boss, right. And they're talking about toys, and he's mm-hmm. telling about things from his perspective. And he sees that little uh, keyboard you play mm-hmm. with your feet. Yeah. Well, they of course start to play the heart and soul stuff, and mm-hmm. and, and I um uh, have had a chance in New York with my wife actually. To be on that actual keyboard and mm. play it. So she and I got to do a little duet. We didn't do Heart and Soul. We got to do a little duet, though, together on that thing. Right, it still right. exists today. Yeah. And tourists can go up to the upstairs. It's in the second floor area. Mm-hmm. And you can, um, uh, it's not in the same place it was in the movie, but oh, it's, yeah, yeah. it's in the second floor area now. And you can still take your shoes off and play. And there's a line of folks waiting to do it. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that's where I remember seeing it the first time. Yeah. It was in Big, of course. Oh, yeah. You yeah. get a chance to experience it yourself. is pretty iconic stuff
2: so yeah i was
0: gonna say like i think that's to me that's the iconic scene is the large piano scene i mean it's i mean i think on one of the dvd covers or might have even been on the vhs cover one of the video release covers like that's the pic, they have a picture of him on the piano mm-hmm. uh but definitely the, the most iconic scene but like the like you said the uh realization scene is still pretty big up there and there's great scenes in it, but one of the cool things about the uh, the piano scene, the actual piano wasn't large enough for both actors to be on at the same time, so Penny Marshall asked the inventor to make a version of the original piano they could use in the movie. Cardboard mock-ups were sent to Hanks and Robert Loggia to practice on. Mm-hmm. Dance doubles were then hired to be used for the close-up shots for their feet as the actors supposedly danced along the keys, but Loggia and Hanks were determined to do the scene themselves, and were so successful that Marshall didn't have to use any footage of the dance doubles in the finished scene, which is really good. I mean, you can tell they're really, yeah. you know, playing that piano. Like, mm-hmm. you really see it. Um, but yeah, yeah. at one
1: point, you can tell he his Hank's foot kind of slips off to yeah. another key. Yeah. And so that's the moment you know it's real. Yeah. It's not just all canned in there. Mm-hmm. You know, he he just barely has it <laughs> slipped to the white key instead of the black one or, right. or, or whatever it was. Right. And, and so you know the authenticity is real.
0: Yeah. So. And the cool thing, like, I mean it's a fun scene. Even I think I'll watch a little bit more closely watching it again today. But Robert Logia's having a blast. I mean yes. like Hanks is Hanks is being Hanks, but yeah. Logia once he kinda gets into it it's like it becomes really fun for him, and mm-hmm. it's like, and, and even my wife was like, "Look at him; he's getting down." You know, like the, you know, the old guy's having some fun. It's like that was really cool. It was really a turning point in the movie too. It is for his for him Very getting endearment together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Why he became really the favorite is. at the office for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, definitely, definitely one of the best scenes. And of course, him eating the mini corn at the office party was my other <laughs> big iconic scene. Because it's just so funny. And that was a scene that Hanks had actually ad-libbed, oh, like really? some of that stuff. I don't remember if it's because of all the research I did. We'll talk about there's an extended version that came out on DVD mm-hmm. that's got like a bunch of extra extended scenes, but it might have been one of the outtakes, but I think it was Elizabeth Perkins was talking about that that party scene was like her favorite filming of the movie oh. because she said watching hanks's choices like when he comes in and everybody laughs and you see him kind of check his fly if it's down or not She said that was him on the spot like and she said that was a perfect choice in that moment she said there was a lot of other food things that he did yeah just trying different things and just she's like oh that was all hanks just what would a 13 year old kid do in like this big party and she said uh so she just loved but then they said i don't remember if they kept some of it or just got cut it was just too many different things but the uh, licking the what was it the cream cheese or whatever whatever it was in the celery sticks, he would just lick it out and then throw the <laughs> celery stick on the table. It's just oh my gosh, it's so
1: so bad. I also thought it was cool, you know that. The whole orig- origination of his w- desire to be big—he mm-hmm. was at that county fair, yeah, right? Yeah, and so the first date that he has with her—that's mm-hmm. where he decides yeah. they should go. Yeah, is le- come on, let's go. Even though you're a businesswoman, whatever. Mm-hmm. He didn't think about that. He was like, I couldn't be with this girl back then because yes. I was too small and she had a boyfriend. Right, but now mm-hmm. let's go to the fair. You know, yeah. we'll just ride all these rides and things. Yeah, some and, really good, you know, riding choices. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: And once again, going back to Penny Marshall's direction, and you, you know, whoever's idea it was, or just you know, just the, the smartness of it. But as you watch, and especially in that part of the movie, as they become closer, you know, which I, all right, let me, I'll talk about, we'll talk about one part I didn't like, and then yeah. what I did like. So because it's just, it's just me watching it now. Mm-hmm. I wasn't as big of a fan of her role at the party because it was like, it's evident. And just be around. It's evident that she's kind of sleeping her way, or trying to sleep her way to the top. She wants to be in the big leagues with everybody else. And so, as uh, John Hurt's character says, you know, you've been with this guy, this guy, this guy, now it's me, now it's him. So, it's very evident at the beginning that she's just he's the new hot guy that's close to the boss, right? Let me get close too. So, it's I didn't like her intentions, sure. I'll you know, just be honest. It's like, and I, and you know. Of course, it's played for laughs in the movie where it's like, oh, you want to sleep over? Well, I get to be on top, you know, whatever. You know, the little, and then they're in there, and she's like, well, do you want to have some wine? And, you know, to wind down. It's like, I'm feeling very vulnerable. You know, she's like throwing all these very adult hints at him, and he's just like, you want to play pinball? Let's do other trampolines. Like, Trampoline, They're, right. they're yeah. both on two totally different realms of thinking. So Wish they would, should have been. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I wasn't a fan of her, you know. But then as they begin to have this relationship, What was cool that I watched, as you see, is like after you know after kind of like the uh, the first date or whatever, you can see where in her attire and her personality at the beginning was her hair is pulled back; it's very professional. She's very you know suit and tie, like very much the adult role. And then as they become closer, you can see she's letting her hair down. She's getting a little bit more casual in her dress. Even at work, Mm -hmm. she just seems more relaxed. She's tapped into her. She's beginning to have fun, and uh, like, right. you know you see that, and then but at the same time you see Hanks is, well you no know, he's got some money so he's not walking around with like worn up, bring up tennis shoes and like mismatched shirts and jackets you know and, and then you kind of see how she's I'll say digressing but she's tapping into her, her inner child mm-hmm. where he's like very quickly maturing into oh. I have a job. I have responsibilities. Like I can't just play toys all day. I've got yes. here are these expense reports and these marketing things that that are obviously very important. I've got a, so it's like that dynamic of the movie as an adult watching it is so cool to see.
1: And That's, it's important. It's too, important I think too because. Yeah. If they don't lean in like that maturity wise yeah. toward each other, some, right? Right, it just stays. Really oh yeah, weird it does awkward. stay weird. Yeah, I mean it, exactly. It, it's it's still a little it bit is. awkward <laughs> in the thinking. You know, yeah. You sit there, you watch the scene where he puts his hand on her chest. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I, I guess you know like, like every little boy's dream, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, so, exactly. But, but the fact that she starts, she goes, like you said, from all business to having some real legit mm-hmm. young fun. Right. Then they start to trend toward each other a little bit. It mm-hmm. makes it a little more palatable. Yeah,
0: so. yeah. Yeah, so there there, there are some problematic, quote-unquote, things about the movie that you, if you think too much, any good fantasy movie, which is, is totally a fantasy movie. Sure, yeah. The, if you try to think too logically about it, it'll ruin a lot of the fun of it, so mm-hmm. we won't dig too much into that. We'll talk a little bit more about some more things as we go, but let's hit some of the trivia things that I put down and... We may not cover all of them because I do want to get to some of the deleted scenes as well. But sure. Um, so I mentioned that at at the beginning, they mentioned that Penny Marshall told Tom Hanks to you know be twelve, not act like twelve. So there was actually some discussion about should he be twelve or should he be thirteen. Um, so screenwriters Gary Ross and Ann Spielberg worried about it was appropriate for Josh to be into an intimate relationship with an adult as he does. As he grows up. So while he was originally meant to be twelve, they eventually changed the age to thirteen. That meant he would have already had his bar mitzvah, which under Judaic law is seen as a rite of passage into manhood. So, interesting little fact there. That because even says then she's like she's like how old are you? Like fourteen, fifteen? Is like I'm thirteen. Right. Like as I'm sure she's like horrified in her mind like what have I done? But anyway, once sure. again, parts of the movie we don't want to talk about. Uh, <laughs> the cavern of the evil wizard computer game wasn't a real computer game and was created for the movie. So thought that was interesting, but mm-hmm. that was uh, that was cool. Um, shimmy shimmy cocoa pop. The song. One of my favorite parts. So Tom Hanks' son was 10 years old at the time while his dad was filming, and he was the one who taught Hanks the shimmy-shimmy-cocoa-pop rhyme that Josh and Billy would do. It was something that Colin Hanks, his son, had learned in summer camp, and his dad proved during a 2009 appearance on the BBC talk show Friday night with Jonathan Ross that he still had the routine down cold.
2: Hmm.
0: Although he turned down the reporter's request to sing the song... In 2013, David Moscow admitted on MTV.com that he also still remembered all the words, even joking, quote-unquote, I sing it at night before I go to bed every night.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. That's
0: awesome. And then Tyra, my wife, was saying that, like, she know a little variation of the song, which says she heard the same song when she was at camp. So a little, there's always a different variation as it goes on. So, I thought this was cool. Teenagers go through growth spurts, and Moscow was no exception to the rule. His said, my feet were growing much faster than the rest of my body, So I had this very strange walk. He wore Converse sneakers at the time, and they were like, he said they were a size bigger than normal shoes. So he would walk almost like this duck walk. Mm -hmm. Moscow explained that Hanks also requested oversized shoes to wear so he could imitate the young actor's walk. So in the film, he's kind of flopping around in those shoes. I thought it was a good acting, once again, good acting choice.
2: Yeah.
0: In the original screenplay, Susan kisses Josh on the lips to say goodbye after she drives him home following his confession about being a kid hmm. but Penny Marshall was like that's not going to work so she actually told her kiss him on the cheek which or the forehead which was much 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 better So yes, and I think there was also one version going back to the scene of like the uh, their night together whatever that she was supposed to be topless in that scene better idea to not do that for like, sure definitely wouldn't have got a PG rating for that which I'll also talk about this um, I didn't put it in my notes but I was a little shocked this being PG that the F-bomb gets dropped in this movie which yeah. I totally forgot about yeah. But I was reading that, like, the late 80s is kind of a weird time where PG-13 was still coming in, and there were still, like, I think there's three other movies they said between 86, or 85, and 89, where it's rated PG, but they allowed the F word in those PG movies or some PG-13s, so mm-hmm. it was like, they were still trying to figure that whole thing out, obviously, right. but yeah. when Billy drops it in the office, I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that for a PG movie, but... Yep. Eighty eight was a different time. So yes, how did how did is. your
1: kids react to that? <laughs> <laughs> well, they were they were all pretty shocked. I was pretty yeah. shocked too. You know, like you said, you can't remember that from having seen it so yeah. long ago, yeah. you yeah. know. It didn't uh I didn't remember that mm-hmm. in, in the original oh, time yeah. I saw it. So.
0: I think that's what's so funny. We we've had the I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast, but there's been times I'll see in my eighties groups people my age when they're having their kids like, Oh, I want my kids to watch Back to the Future, I want my kids to watch Goonies. And, like, you pop in, like, the, you know, pull it up on whatever streaming service, like, mm-hmm. oh, man, I forgot about all this language yeah. that was in the movie. And it's like, but it also says, like, well, as a kid, it just kind of went over our heads. Like, we really didn't didn't think of it the same way as now as an adult. We were so I'm, I'm not getting a whole moral discussion about language, but as an adult, we get a little bit more, oh, we don't want them to hear these words. I mean, certain words they should not hear. I'm not sure to say that. Yeah, right. But it was, like, it's funny to me how I don't remember those words. Yeah. Now that I've gotten older.
1: And but. you don't think of shielding yourself from it when you're younger. Yeah. But yeah. you think of that as an apparent, you know. You shield your kids for certain things. You yeah, wanna, yeah, yeah. You want to keep out of their ears when you can. So
0: Right, right. So, discussion for another time. But anyway.
1: Uh, <laughs> all right, so let's
0: talk a little bit about the extended edition and alternate ending. So, in 2007, a two-disc extended DVD was released. The extended cut is no gimmicky claim. There are 47 ways in which this elongated version differs from the original theatrical cut. There are slight extensions, insertions of all new scenes, an alternate version of an existing bit, and a few more scene rearrangements. The individual changes range from 3 seconds to over two and a half minutes. Altogether, the difference is 26 minutes of bonus footage. Wow. The extended version is clearly less taut than the theatrical cut. Many of the extensions find adult Josh and Billy walking outside to and from destinations, filling in gaps that need not be filled. Mm -hmm. Inevitably, though, the new footage adds a bit more insight into the characters, typically the supporting ones. We get to see and hear Billy's rough family life, most noticeably in a 45-second dinner scene in which his tough mother, played by Frances Fisher, loudly vents at him. There's a little bit more of love interest Susan, adversary Paul, and boss MacMillan. The content does stand out as being inferior to what made it into the final cut, in fact, the additions are usually seamless. They certainly look and sound as polished as the rest of the film. The first time viewer might be hard pressed to spot the additions. That was from a review of the just the for, full your, for the full cut, yeah. yeah. So uh, but a few of the memorable new scenes that I thought these are scenes that I would have liked to have seen. One of the scenes is Josh cleverly uses the CD Hotel's payphone to call home and under the guise of a customer survey finds out what to take for a stomach ache. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, he's a kid. He's on his own. So he's like, he calls his mom, but he can't be himself. There's another scene which I thought would have been funny. Josh and Billy roam around a tuxedo store, which I wouldn't understand why he got the tuxedo he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh and Millen talk toys during a shared late night at the office. Billy makes repeated attempts to track down a Zoltar machine. And then this is the scene. Susan becomes suspicious of Josh after she discovers his wallet. And she sees in the wallet is his library card. There's, like, no driver's license. It's, like, a library card, the your wishes granted card, and, like, something else. But it's, like, she opens the wallet, and she realizes, like, this is not the wallet of an adult. Like, there's no credit cards, no driver's license, nothing that, you know, pictures of him as a kid or whatever. And so that, to me, like, I would have liked that scene because it is kind of a quick conversion when mm-hmm. she, re- like, he tells her, you know, I'm a kid, I'm a kid, and she doesn't believe him. And then in the office... Uh, when they're making the presentation for the, the the comic book. And I think somebody says, uh, he said, what's the price point? She said, oh, you know, we can make it for like seven bucks. We'll sell it for $18.95. Like, what kid's going to want to pay 20 bucks for a comic book? And then she has this realization like a kid, oh, well, he's a kid. He would. But to me, that ties in. Like if you had that scene of the wallet, you can see where she's putting those pieces together instead of just being like this random comment that like, oh he is a kid you know like i would have liked to have seen the wallet scene i want to say that maybe we talked about this other podcast where a lot of times stuff gets played on tv they'll add some scenes in and because they have to take other scenes out or just for pacing and you know you know where commercials have to be in they pad some of those things Mm -hmm. so I'm, i'm i feel like i've seen that scene so they may have added that in one of the tv versions that i saw which i thought was interesting but that's that's a scene i really wish that I think would have been good to, to, to stay in the movie Yeah, for sure. step
1: toward the reveal would be... Yeah.
0: yeah. So, and then you and I talked about this already, but we'll mention it for the podcast. Some believe that a home video release of this movie in New Zealand included an alternate ending. The alternate ending allegedly shows young Josh sitting in his classroom at school when he turns around and notices a young female classmate of whom he recognizes as Susan, who seems to have went back to the fairground machine and wished that she was Josh's age. Some claim this version was also seen on Latin American television. The Book of Lists, Canadian edition, 2005, includes the following account. Quote, unquote, during test screenings, an additional scene was included at the end in which Josh is back at school and a new girl named Susan arrives. The implication is that Susan used the same machine to make herself young to grow up with Josh. Due to audience feedback, the scene was cut, so the movie ends when Josh goes back home. So, um, Interesting thought, because we, I, you and I were having the discussion before, about before she makes that comment, you know, as he as he she's realizing he's made the wish to be a kid again. I'm like, man, they really could have made a sequel with her, you know, wishing to be young. But they actually have that conversation there, and she's like, right. I, I, you know, I've been through those years. I'm not going to do it again. Which to me seems very established, very very final, final, her, very yeah. final. So I can see why if they put that scene at the end, it almost undo that whole conversation. I think it was smart to leave it the way it was. I don't yeah. think we needed that. Like, if they remade it today, they'd probably do that tease because they're all about franchising. But <laughs> for sure, make me another movie,
1: more money, right? But you know, we yeah, we talked about it before. But Penny Marshall, I think, it really did it the exact yeah. right way at the end, yeah, with him walking away a little bit mm-hmm. in his Hanks, and then the next cut shows him smaller. And then the final thing, he turns back around to her mm-hmm. as if uh, this is what I'm walking away from, this yeah. is who I really am, yeah. And it's just, and there's no words and no dialogue in it. Mm-hmm. It's just all movement and looks, and it's very well done. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, of course,
0: it goes from that scene to him and Billy, you know, being kids again and right. talking, you know. It's like he's back to being a kid again. So, it it, I think it, she does a well-made movie in a sense of beginning, middle, and giving a clear, definitive end yep. that wraps everything up. And, you know, of course, you're going to have, the, the not say problematic, but the questions that, as an adult, you kind of go back and look. The things that wouldn't work today, and yes. we'll kind of throw these out just just at toward here towards the end. But like, I was cracking up thinking about Billy going downtown with him, leaving him to this hotel, and then Billy's just gonna go back home by himself. Like, the '80s were a different time, y'all. You know, like for the young kids out kids out there listening, the '80s were different. Like, I remember me and my dad were talking about this a couple weeks ago. Like, we lived in DC, we lived in uh, we lived in Maryland for a couple of years. And we were right between Washington D.C. and Baltimore, downtown Baltimore, and we would go to D.C. when family, you know, people would come and visit, and I would leave by myself for hours of time in D. Washington D.C. and I would go to the Air and Space Museum because that was the only thing there that I really liked. While they went and did everything else, like, okay, we're all gonna meet back in like three hours. You know, you have a watch, no cell phone, no GPS, right. No way. You know, it was like, and I had to have been. I wasn't as young as Billy, but I I mean I was still middle school early high school so what yeah. 13 14 years old. Sure. I wouldn't let my 12-year-old now be by, he's <laughs> like well she doesn't want to be by herself like that. So it's just no, a totally yeah, different exactly. time. Yeah. But yeah, so that that those scenes made me laugh about, you know, that he's just like when Tom Hanks is watching him walk down the hallway of this very seedy hotel, like he's about to get on a bus and go back from New Jersey. I don't know yeah. how much to drive this is from Jersey to to New York, but I'm like Thirteen-year-old kid just out out in New York by himself and not being hurt by anybody. It's like
1: I wh- think the scene after that too, where he's all alone and he starts to hear gunshots. Yeah. Oh, his yeah. And oh yeah. Oh He just cu- cu- like kind of curls up in the fetal position. Yeah. And that really it helps to show it wasn't just you know his wish was granted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't all funny games, man. Yeah. Here exactly. you are as yeah. an adult. You're going to have some hard times. Yes. Yeah. You know. Welcome to adulthood. Mm-hmm. It's not all that's cracked up to be. Yeah.
0: So. That scene specifically, I think. Brings the balance. This movie is so well balanced, like we talked before. Of the com- the co- there's definitely funny, laugh out loud comedy moments. Yeah. But then you have that moment where it's like, here's this kid that's like, my parents let me go to the city by myself. Now I'm supposed to be this thirty year old man in this hotel. Gunshots outside. People yelling out. You know, the phone the the phone booth and bathroom for the whole apartment complex. Yeah. You know, our apartment building is right outside my door. It's like, that is. Fear personified, right there. It's like that's. I mean, but they cap. She captured that moment. Like mm-hmm. that was important. Right. That scene was there for a reason to give you that kind of, oh, this is serious business. It's not all fun and games. It's not all. Oh, I got my wish granted, or whatever. You know, be careful what you wish for, kind of a thing. So. Sure. Exactly. But yeah, and then the other thing is, you know, the whole. Which I think some of the deleted scenes talk. There's another deleted scene, where, I think she's talking more with the cops about, uh, the Joshua's mom's talking to the cops about him being abducted. And like trying to describe as she's describing who it looks like, you know, and the dad's like, well, that sounds like stuff that I have in my closet, you know, because he grabbed stuff as his dad's closet. So, you know, that to me doesn't really get resolved either, which, you know, for having me doesn't have to be. But, mm-hmm. you know, he runs back home. Is the investigation over? Does right. him, like, how does he explain what happened? Does he explain what happens? Is it just like, I don't want to press charge. Like, how does all that get resolved? But, you know, yeah. but it's it, and then. What well, then is interesting is like he obviously transforms overnight to become big, but then it's kind of a nice you know tie bow ending where he'll quickly transform in the middle of a street. Right. Hopefully nobody's looking out their window as he as he you know goes down. And then I, I know his mom's like, "Why are you in a suit? Why is a suit too big for you?" Whatever. So anyway, those are the little things that I just thought about. So
2: yeah,
0: uh, anything else you want to mention? Anything we didn't cover? Any scenes that we didn't cover that you want? Well, to mention? I don't know
1: if if you mentioned this, I read. Um, I, I can't remember exactly since we've been sitting here, but the screenplay, uh, the writer of the screenplay also was nominated for an Oscar. Yes. Which I thought was great. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this screenplay was very good. Again, we both agree very well written. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of good balance in it. One of the things I think that makes this this film so successful too is who hasn't been where he is and wanted to be bigger? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can legitimately remember going to Six Flags and not being big <laughs> enough to ride some of the roller coasters, yeah. the mind bender whatever that I wanted to ride right. at the time. Right. And so, you know, I think it plays off of that universal idea of everybody that's young has some moments in their life when they want to be adults yeah. because of whatever, you know, yeah. insert, insert the reason, whatever it might mm-hmm. be, but... I think it's another reason we all kind of look at this movie and say, well, I can relate to that. I can mm-hmm. relate to that, especially when we were younger in the 80s. Oh, yeah. You can oh, yeah. kind of feel that even more. So uh, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a great film. And um, just it's it's been a long time since I've seen it, but like we said, it really does hold up real well. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, let's just briefly talk about Box Office. So it opened on June 3rd, 1988 in second place behind Crocodile Dundee, which held on to its top spot for the second week. Big was just the second feature film that Marshall had directed. We mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. Made on a budget of about $18 million, it was the fourth biggest hit of 1988 with a domestic gross in that year of more than $114 million. Its success made Penny Marshall the first female director to helm a feature film that earned at least $100 million at the box office. So wow, that's kudos cool. Kudos to her. So, all right. Oh, you know what? I did not... How did I oh, there it is. I was like, "Where's my critical reception?" different page. All right, so Rotten Tomatoes has it at 97 percent on the tomato meter, and an 82 percent audience score. IMDb has 7.3 out of 10 with uh, audiences, and 73 on Metacritic. IMDb is too low. I would, I think Rotten Tomatoes is pretty accurate. I think I would
1: think so too. Yeah. At least for my taste. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I easy a a movie for me. I mean, yeah. definitely rewatchable watchable. Like I said, well balanced. I mean. We've gushed about it enough, I think. (laughs) And a really, really good Tom Hanks performance. Yeah. Pivotal to him. Right. Exactly. So, All right. Well, Chris, thanks so much for being a part of the episode. Glad to have you on this one. I think this was a good one. Yeah. Always a pleasure, man. Anytime. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember, follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Still doing my forgotten flicks of the 80s on TikTok and Instagram. You can support the podcast. Uh, The link to do that is in the show notes. Uh, that helps with the website, the zooms that we do, movie rentals, all that kind of fun stuff. And I want to mention, I do have an Amazon wish list. Uh, it's on our. We have a link tree you can find on I think all the social media profiles. Buy me a Blu-ray or a DVD. Summer five dollars. Summer thirty, whatever. Just you know, if you want to support the show. And then if you have Apple Music, I've got a playlist called the Eighties Flick Flashback Movie Songs Playlist. It's uh, over 100 songs, hits, and deep cuts from some of the best 80s movies. Everything from uh, The Power of Love from Hugh Lewis and the News to Suddenly Seymour from Little Shop of Horrors. It's a big mix of all that stuff. So be sure to check that out. Just something I did for fun. Got some good feedback on that. So That's all I got. Everybody, have fun. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your summer. Go back and watch Big again. And that's it. Good night, good people.